Hey, this is Joseph Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Open Spaces podcast. Why don't you sit back, relax, and join me as we take a journey together into wide open spaces. And hi there, and it's so good to be back with you again this week for part three of Derailed. I hope you've been enjoying it so far, and if you haven't listened to uh, episodes one and two, you really do need to before you even start to listen to this episode, because it gives context for what we're talking about today. And when I say we, I mean that literally, because uh, episodes one and two, I did um, a teaching on that and using the story um, of David as uh, how you can go from being in God's favor to derailing. Uh, But this week, I have a really good friend of mine who is also very qualified to be on the show. Um, uh, Chris Wasman is with us today, and Chris has a degree in pastoral care. He currently serves uh, helping out, um, donating or volunteering his time at uh, Grace, which is a free medical clinic, and he serves there in pastoral care and has also done that, um, fortunately, because He's been very blessed. Uh, He's able to volunteer his time to serve and take care of people less fortunate. And so he also served at the VA, uh, taking care of people there as well. So welcome, Chris. Great to have you with us. Thank you, sir. Love being on the show. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah, I know that actually this is your third time on the show, and we get pretty good ratings when we're together on the show. So um, we maybe should do it more often. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so let's, um, before we get into actually talking about it, what I want to do is give a really brief and quick recap so that people who um, are stubborn enough not to want to go back to one and two and insist on listening to this instead, get a feel for where we're going. And what I did was I set um, this whole idea of derailment or derailing from your plan, from God's plan and purpose for your life in the story of David. And I used parallel stories of David. One was uh, where David was a shepherd boy and how he responded to um, his dad's instructions to go and check on his brothers when there was a battle, when Israel was in in a battle with the Philistines. The second story was when David was king. And as king, he has lost a sense of purpose and value and importance for the things that matter most. And in the first story, the Bible says he gets up early in the morning and leaves his sheep with another carer, which connotes to me the idea that it was so critically important that David was willing to make the sacrifice of sleep and rest and set out early. But in the second story, he's now king. And the Bible says it was time when kings go to battle. But David stayed in Jerusalem and sent Joab, who was the captain of his army, to the battlefront. And that led, one thing led to another, his sin with Bathsheba, his killing of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, uh, his deception, um, Bathsheba getting pregnant and then giving birth to a baby. And ultimately, this baby uh, dies. And so there's a lot of tragedy that surrounds all of that story. And then ultimately, The Bible tells us that God said to David that he could not build him a temple because his hands were stained with innocent blood. And as it turns out, um, uh, Solomon, David's son, ended up building the temple, which was always David's plan and purpose. But he lost out on it because 
of choices that he made that ultimately derailed him. And so we talked about five specific steps that lead to derailment. And I'm not even going to address those steps today because that'll take more time than we have to devote to it. You can simply go back to episodes one and two and listen to what those steps are or um, find out what those steps are, those five steps. So today, here's where I want to begin. Um, I want to tell a personal story and then uh, I'm going to invite Chris um, to to talk about some of this stuff that we've been dealing with over the last two weeks and this is the third week. So years ago, uh, I was a pastor in Colorado Springs at uh, what was arguably one of the largest churches in America at the time and it was such a blessing to serve on that team and on that staff and then over time um, you sort of become desensitized to the the honor and privilege that you've been given to take care of people and to be in a flourishing, thriving um, environment like that. And I remember some things happened, and a friend of mine who was a pastor of a smaller church in town, really dear friend, in fact, we really consider ourselves brothers. His mother was my adopted mother. She, um, Chris, I bet you didn't know this, but she was the one who changed my name from Joe to Joseph. Now, Joseph was my is on my birth certificate, but growing up, my dad had always called me Joe. So all my friends knew me as Joe and everything. Mm. And when I got to that church, she was uh, she oversaw women's ministry. And I remember her saying to me one day, she, she was old enough to be my mother, and she mm. said to me, your name is not Joe. The first time she met me, she asked me my name, and I told her Joe Thompson. And she said, your name is not Joe. Joe is a bricklayer from Brooklyn. Your name is Joseph. <laughs> Joseph that. means he shall add. And ever since then, I have not liked to be called Joe. I wow. do not actually like to be called Joe. So it's amazing how, <laughs> I, I know that's a, a slight detour, but I just wanted to mention that it was this pastor's mother who didn't work at her son's church. She worked at the church I was at um, in charge of women's ministry, and her son had a smaller church. But he and I were so close, and um, I remember one day some things were going on that really um, were creating some 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 stirrings in the church and he looked at me and he said I think you prefer the trappings of big ministry Mm. more than you do the holiness of God Mm. I was so angry I was angry I didn't talk to him for months I hated that statement I argued but you know what Chris Mm. over the years as uh as I pursued ministry and really began to examine some things in my heart, the need and desire for affirmation and accolade and celebrity and all of that, I realized how true what he said was. Mm. But I never would have told you or believed that I was capable of that. I I abhorred that about ministry. Mm. So for me, it's what I've come to know as the boiling frog syndrome. Um, you, you've heard that old adage, yes, you sir. drop a frog in boiling water, it'll leap out immediately. But if you, because it's uh, an amphibian and it's cold-blooded, if you put it in water and slowly bring that water to the boil, it'll cook it to death mm-hmm. because it doesn't sense the change in temperature. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what was happening to me. And I find that to be the case with a lot of people in ministry. So let's talk about that a little, this concept of derailed. What are your thoughts on this? What a deep subject. And I think uh, just based on what you've mentioned so far to me about the number of people listening, there's obviously a desire to uh, to hear about this, to talk about it, to bring it to light. 
Um, it's difficult. This is a really uh, difficult subject to touch on. And I love that you have a personal story uh, to bring to the table on this and just show how real it is. I, I'm not sure that our listeners, uh, that your listeners understand um, the ministry that you've done in the past and at what level. So uh, for you to um, kind of own that, that that's uh, it's a big deal. And it says that, that it's real. Um, this is real out there and we're watching it happen within the church. Yeah, absolutely. So um Here's, here's something that I've been thinking about. So, because this has been focused primarily on pastors, pastors who lead churches. Now, it is uh, relevant to every Christian leader who's leading in any capacity, in ministry, in, in secular uh, employment. It is relevant to all. Mm-hmm. But I've particularly focused on pastoral ministry because that's where I've spent most of my working life. Mm-hmm. And um, it's where I've seen a lot of that. And And specifically, when I look at this verse in the Bible, because oftentimes we look at churches and we celebrate uh, successes for churches and pastors based on the size of the congregation, how great their worship music is, what they're doing in the community. That's how we measure Mm -hmm. whether a pastor is effective and whether he's doing God's will. But in actual fact, None of those things, as good as all those things are, mm-hmm. are things that the Bible mentions as qualifications for being an effective pastor. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, here's what it says. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Now, here's what's interesting to me. When I did a study on this, this phrase, if someone aspires to be a church leader, mm-hmm. it's actually a Greek word, episkope. Now, you might think, why are we getting so deep into that? I'll explain that in a moment. Because we just stopped at verse 5. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? But in verse 6, it says this, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him, so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Now, you know what's interesting? Verse 6 says a church leader again, but this is a different word. It's the word episkopos, as opposed to episkope. And when you look at it in the Greek, episkope is actually the office. So it says, if someone aspires to the office of a church leader, and then that word, episcope, also means bishop, overseer, or presiding officer of a Christian church. That's what the word episcope means. Now, in verse 6, when it says a church leader, it's episcopos, which is the person so in this, at the beginning, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to the office of a bishop, 
or a pastor, they are all interchangeable terms, uh, or a, an overseer of a Christian church. But in verse 6, it is speaking to specifically the person now. It's, this is episkopos, the person. So it says, this person, whoever this person is, must not be a new believer, because he might become proud, and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, People outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap, which means he must have a public reputation that is positive. Mm -hmm. But it also means that he cannot be a new believer. But none of these are things that we ask or examine when people become leaders or pastors. All that we know is, hey, someone says, uh, hey, I, I feel I'm called to do this. And they set up a church and people attend and the church grows and there you have it, voila. Mm -hmm. He's a pastor. He's a bishop. He's an overseer. He's an episcopos. He has attained to the episcopate or the office of church leader. But we don't really pay attention to these things. And that's why I believe that in large part, and I said this in, um, uh, in episode two, we are responsible for so many of the failings and fallings of our church leaders, because we place them on pedestals that don't allow them to be honest and truthful about their own weaknesses and shortcomings. Mm -hmm. We almost deify them and make out that because they are Christian leaders who have built large churches, if they have built large churches, or have successfully built churches or lead churches, automatically that means they have everything all together. But these are the factors by which we should measure them. And so let's talk about this, Chris, because mm -hmm. the question becomes, so where do we go from here? Yes. Wow. That is, uh, this is a loaded conversation, first of all. And so thank you for inviting me into it. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I thought if I'm going to get in trouble, you might as well. You too. couldn't find anybody else to speak on it, <laughs> is what happened. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, man, we're seeing so much of this. In the church, and I and I agree with you. It is the uh, the fault has to be placed on us as the church, the 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 larger church. And so, um, you know, there's a very very thin line between that pride and cockiness uh, or confidence. Right? Uh, it's two different things. And I think as we build a leader up, uh, the way that we're seeing happen in the church today. Um, it's hard for them not to fall on the wrong side of that line and um, become more and more about themselves or the brand per se, uh, rather than the people that are walking through the door and the calling that they've been, um, that they have been called to. And so uh, it's a difficult thing. Um, and, and the pride and the, and the confidence, I've learned a little bit more about those things, even in that um, they can they can be good things if they're rooted in Jesus, right? Uh, I think where we get into trouble is where it's, where it's rooted in something else. It's rooted in self or it's rooted in the brand. Um, and, and it starts to reveal itself in, in the way of small comments here and there. And a heart position begins to be revealed. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So... Um what I don't want to do is I don't want to end this conversation um, just pointing out problems. Mm -hmm. uh, in episodes one and two, 
I highlighted the problems and correlated them to, as I said, the story of David mm -hmm. and how he derailed. Um, a man who the scripture says was a man after God's heart. This is God's testimony concerning David. Uh, and I also used some uh, parallel information from the book Derailed, Catastrophic Failures in Leadership. And um, so today, what I'd like to end this session doing is talking about what we do from here, where we go from mm -hmm. here, what some of the possible solutions are. So let's begin with this one, um, humility. Humility, I think, is a critical key. Uh, here's why. The Bible says... God resists the proud, mm. but gives more grace to the humble. And grace is what we need for each day to navigate each day effectively and successfully. And I've always pointed out that the word resist gives me pause when it says God resists the proud, mm -hmm. because a resistance is a force applied against something. That's wow. a resistance. So that means God applies a force against you when you are prideful. Mm -hmm. And so I think humility is the first key. And here are some of the key aspects of humility. The first is self-awareness. Mm. Um, what I mean by self-awareness is you didn't do it alone. Too many, I've heard too many Christian leaders say, they built this. This is my thing, I, my church. I built this. You didn't do it alone. You mm. couldn't have done it alone. You can't at once be the worship guy, the drummer, the preacher, the congregation, you can't be all. So it takes other people to make you successful. Again, I've always said that. No human being is successful alone. If you wrote the best music in the world, but nobody heard it, so nobody could measure it, mm. how do you know it's the best music in the world? That is very, very valid. Uh, it, it, in that case, it would, that level of pride crowds out God and it crowds out other people, and that's just dangerous. Exactly. So self-awareness is the first part. The second part is accountability. Um, accountability to other people, because nobody has a monopoly on wisdom. Mm -hmm. So talk about that a little bit, Chris. Talk about this accountability thing. I think that a lot of times that accountability, even I've seen it in the corporate world as well as in the church, it's not, um, this is not a problem of just the church. Uh, that accountability has to go beyond that next level of peers and, and probably in both directions, right? Uh, so when you say both directions, you mean to people above you and people below you? Absolutely. Okay. Why not? Uh, we should be, uh, if, if we're hesitant about getting questioned on things, I mean, that kind of says it right up front now. Well, I can hear already um, some people protesting that, that uh, I'm not accountable to the people that I hire that work for me. So speak to that. How would you address that? I, I would say if you're, if you're out of touch with that, with the front lines, um, there's way more at risk there. So and the, the TV show that shows bosses where they go in and Undercover perform... Boss. A, undercover bosses. They go in and they perform a menial role... Uh, under their different identity, just to see what is really happening, and I think if you're if you're not in touch at that level, how can you have compassion uh, for those people at the front lines? Compassion is putting yourself in their shoes. And what and you're saying what it is, is, it takes humility to be willing to submit yourself to people who you pay, the, the, and they don't even know that that's you uh, in that case. But in this case, as Christ followers. Servant leadership is what is required of us, right? Yes, absolutely. I love that. 
Here's uh, the third aspect of humility. So we talked about self-awareness, accountability, and the third aspect for me is prefer others. It's real simple. Uh, in other words, by prefer others, all I'm saying is treat people the way that you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Years ago, I, I watched uh, a, a movie. Um, I can't even remember the name, but that doesn't matter. This line stood out to me from, from this movie. And it said, the, the guy, the protagonist of the story said, you don't want to burn bridges because you never know which one you'll need to cross back over. Mm. I loved that because it paints such a picture uh, for me. The idea that if I burn bridges now, um, I may very well need that bridge to get back to <laughs> where I just came from. Yes. But I've burnt it, you know. So um, no, uh, we, we have to treat people the way we want to be treated. So let's wrap this up with the, the last uh, aspect of where we go from here. So the first one was humility, and under that was self-awareness, accountability, and prefer others. This last aspect is prioritize people over personal preference. Mm. And this is not the same thing as prefer others. Prefer others is simply treat people the way you want want to be treated. But prioritizing people over personal preference is this. What I'm saying is when you are a visionary leader and you start any kind of organization, whether it's a church or a business, you cast a vision statement. And then you have a mission statement that you frame, we do, for um, RHC, we have a mission statement, Mm -hmm. and it's framed and it's in our glass cabinet on display in the front office. But here's the key. If you don't continually revisit your values, your mission statement, then the culture you create may be completely at variance with what you say you believe. Mm -hmm. I love how Andy Stanley said this years ago. I heard him say, or I read where he said, No, actually, I did hear him say in a teaching that your mission statement is not what's on the wall. It's what's happening down the hall. Yes. And that's true because you create the real culture is the culture that you create by what you do and what you tolerate, what you you show people you believe, not what you say you believe. Exactly. And what you're talking about is being willing to be vulnerable as a leader, be humble, be real. Uh, that that uh, comes with a difficult task, which is being willing to be wrong every once in a while. No, nobody wants to be wrong. Can you imagine? It's no Yay, fun. I'm wrong again. <laughs> right? But yeah. if you don't have a willingness to even accept that once in a while or be open to the idea uh, of maybe maybe I missed it uh, here or there, uh, I think that's that's where pride creeps in. Absolutely. So, in fact, under this culture that you create, I highlighted three sub points. One is honest feedback. You need honest feedback and you will only get honest feedback if people feel safe giving you feedback. I remember working for FedEx many years ago in my early days of work. Uh, This was a a century ago. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kidding, obviously. But um, we had something that I, it was brand new to me, but I loved it. It was called an SFA, a survey feedback action. Our head office would always have someone come in, and those of us who worked under certain managers would all give anonymous feedback um, documented so that if there was a uniform sense of a weakness for this leader, then it would be highlighted because we have all given feedback anonymously. But he would never know who said what uh, because he wasn't privy to that information. 
Uh, they called it a survey feedback action. I love that um, because I think that it really, really allows for honest feedback. And honest feedback is critical to every leader. Mm -hmm. The second um, sub uh, point under that was listen to learn. All too often, because you're the leader of the organization, you do most of the speaking, especially in a church setting on Sundays. You're the one who speaks all the time. But frankly, you're growing and learning on the job. Can you imagine a doctor learning about surgery the first time he does <laughs> surgery? Would you volunteer to be the patient for that? So the church world is very funny that way. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, you may have gone to school and learned and all that, but you don't really know how effectively you will communicate with people and teach them the scriptures until you actually do it. Mm -hmm. And I've heard many pastors say things like, man, I cringe when I listen to sermons I preached in the early days. God is so gracious mm -hmm. because some of the stuff we said was so abjectly wrong, but we were teaching it because we believed it to be true. And God is so gracious. So if we listen to learn, if we recognize that there are always people who've gone ahead of us, who are smarter than us, mm -hmm. and who have lived through the season of life that we're in, we can learn from their mistakes without having to make the same ones. Listen to learn. And the third and final point is lead with questions. Because all too often, leaders come in like a bull in a china shop because they have this idea that this is what I want to accomplish. This is how it has to be done. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Um, the method, how you get there, isn't that important because somebody else may have a better method than you. But you don't know that mm -hmm. until you give them the opportunity. So lead with questions. Instead of judging and criticizing and uh, making statements, definitive statements, why don't you ask a lot of questions? That way, you can get to the answers quicker. Mm -hmm. And so uh, those are my thoughts, Chris. What, any, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up? I love that last one, just asking questions, because that creates conversation. That invites other people into the conversation. Instead of a reporting in uh, with statements, it's, uh, it's more conversation. You're telling them that they have a part in what's going on. Uh, and you're open to the fact that maybe you don't have all the answers, which yeah. I think is a great position um, and their buy-in is greater, isn't it, it, it? When they feel involved and absolutely. they feel valued. And if, if, if we're all pointed towards the same mission, why wouldn't we want to hear from the other people around us? And this is how we avoid derailing. Chris, mm -hmm. it's been so great to have you. Thank you, brother. And I know we'll be talking a lot more on other episodes, but it was great to have you. Thanks for Thank coming. you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Open Spaces podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please like it and share it with your friends. We'd really love to connect with you. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Open Spaces podcast. <laughs>